Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. This is a profound truth. My way, bad. Go ahead. God's way, good. There, that's all you need. Just we need a bumper sticker for that. I mean, that's what the whole Bible is saying. You know, that anthem, I don't know if you knew this or not, that anthem that plays in hell is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. <laughs> Honestly, it's piped in there, it's eternal, it's really, it's not going to be a lot of fun. Honestly, no dancing to it. It just is going to, I did it my way is really not the right way. When God is the one who created us, he, give, he gives us life. He knows the future. We didn't uh, will ourselves into existence. We didn't give birth to ourselves. Uh, we don't sustain ourselves. So it's all about God. We belong to him. And uh, his way is the best way. And so now we've got five verses hanging at the end of chapter 8. They're going to need a little uh, digging to extract these fantastic insights about what makes for a blessed life and what leads to a cursed life and how God's loving grace saves us from being cursed. And really, the heart of the Old Testament law is how to be blessed. That's God's heart for his people, that they be sheep led by uh, green pastures and still waters and lying down and resting and feeding and being nourished and none to make them afraid. That's God's heart for us. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. Now, with these five verses that are are closing out chapter 8, um, first, we're going to need to, to, to really understand before you read it, because you won't understand it unless you have context, what those five verses are that we're going to look at is a rededication ceremony. And so Moses had said before Moses died in his farewell speech, he said that when you get into the promised land, you will need to rededicate yourselves to the Lord and to the obedience of his word. And then in Deuteronomy 27, where why don't you turn there because this will be Uh, Better, if you turn there, we'll read it together. So in Moses' last speech, his farewell speech before he dies, he's telling them, when you get into the land, there's going to be a ceremony God wants you to have. And he he lays out the details there in Deuteronomy 27. And tonight, the five verses that we're going to read in Joshua 8, they're fulfilling These words given to us in Deuteronomy 27. All right, verse 1. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commands that I give you today. 
When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law, this law just meaning the word of God, when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool upon them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up. And then Moses and the priests, who are Levites, said to all Israel, Be silent, O Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. On the same day, Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now, there's your context. Here's a picture of the situation. And then we're going to go to Joshua 8 and read those five verses, and you're going to understand what those five verses are about by looking at this and hearing the context of what the Lord is asking of them. So military activities are interrupted to give Israel a time to rededicate and recommit themselves to the Lord, to submit to his authority, to obey his word. And now so from, from, from Ai, from the city of Ai, they are told to go 30 miles north to Shechem. Now, that's in the valley there. And they are to build on Mount Ebal, the foot there, an altar for sacrifices. And then half of Israel is going to recite in this canyon uh, the blessings of the Lord. And half of Israel split by tribes, six and six on each side. The tribes split on Mount Ebal will be reciting the curses. Do not do this. Do not do this. Do not do this. And everybody on the other side says, Amen, Amen, Amen. And on Mount Gerizim, at the foot there, they will be singing back, reciting back the blessings. And then the other side will say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Now this is what Moses in in, in here, Deuteronomy 27, is telling them to do Joshua 8 now. They're in the Jordan. They're, they're through the Jordan, rather. They've taken two cities, Jericho and I, and now God has directed Joshua. It's time to put into practice what I asked you in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. The script for what they're going to recite to each other is actually in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, and I'm going to read that to you. And so I'm going to leave that up there, that just what's going on there, it's just um, 
an unbelievable valley that is dug out. I'm going to explain it, but it makes the acoustics so that all of the uh, congregation of Israel is able to recite these words of blessing. And the key to blessing is doing the Lord's will through his word and knowing that word. And so he wants them to uh, sing about that and to recite it. Now, commentator James Montgomery Boyce said this, this valley, this is a particular beautiful, particularly beautiful area in Israel. The mountains, which are about 3,000 feet above sea level or 1,000 feet above the valley between them, the valley is often green, and at one place where the mountains come close together, there's a natural amphitheater. Uh, F.B. Meyer describes it as a place where the hills are hollowed out and the limestone stratum is broken into succession of ledges so as to form a series of natural benches. It is a natural amphitheater capable of containing a vast audience of people providing the acoustics necessary to hear and recite the commands of the Lord. And so they've reached this place. Now let's take a look at Joshua 8, finish the chapter, uh, verses 30 to 35. Now you're going to know what exactly this means. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal, there we go, an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. And you just read that. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written, all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law, and which is now Deuteronomy to us. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and all the foreigners who lived among them. All right, so let's talk about this because it's got some fantastic insights for us uh, now that we've got a clearer picture of what's going on. So what, what is going on? God is fighting their battles. Uh, they're enjoying victory. They're acquiring their inheritance. And really, the point now is how God's people would continue to always enjoy blessing, avoid being cursed, and how to escape the judgment of God when they fall short. That's all wrapped up in these five little verses that we're going to talk about now. First of all, when talking about obtaining God's blessing, we best be very clear. Number one, um, becoming God's people is unconditional. Becoming blessed 
is conditional. So let me talk about that. The blessed life starts with God. Now, the first covenant that God made with the Jews to Abraham is called a unilateral covenant. Unilateral is a one-sided agreement. You will remember in Genesis 15, in what seems to be a very bizarre ceremony to our modern uh, Western ears, where there's a blood sacrifice and um, the Lord is speaking and the smoking fire is there. And, and really what's going on there is God is, is instituting his promise to Abraham and the Jews about the land. That Abraham is asleep. God is the one making the covenant. Now, just showing you that it had nothing to do with Abraham. It was a unilateral covenant, the Old Testament, to Abraham. Not based on any good works, but on the mercy of God. That's number one. Now, in the New Testament, the same parallel that I brought up to you before. When Jesus is bringing the New Testament, sweating drops of blood in the garden. What's going on? The disciples are helping him? No, they are doing what Abraham did. They are sleeping. Once again, you see Old Testament, God doing the work, man sleeping, right? And New Testament, God doing the work, this time not a bloody sacrifice in front of them of doves split in two, but his own body broken and torn for our sins is as the drops of blood are coming from his forehead, these guys are sleeping. Once again, a unilateral covenant is being made. And so that's important to see here. Uh, uh, our salvation, what is it saying? Our salvation cannot be earned by man. Uh, Titus 3, verses 4 and 5 but when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any righteous thing we had done, but because of his mercy. Titus 3, 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works or good deeds, lest any man boast. And so we see that's the truth of that first covenant. Now I kind of hear the Lord saying after salvation, you know, uh, the blessing or the enjoyment of everything God has for us is really up to us, saith the Lord. This is your choice. Because after he gives the blessings from Mount Gerizim, and after they recite the curses from Mount Ebal, at the end of that, Moses says these things uh, in the word to them. He says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may, not, that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, God is for you. He wants to bless you. But choose life. And so the blessings are conditional in our lives. But salvation is all about God and his promise to us, thankfully. And so we clearly see verse 32 of Joshua 8. Um, really, the importance of the word of God 
Uh, Joshua is copying God's moral commands onto the stones on the altar there. Now, you have to know a little culture about the Near East and the ancient days. They used to take rocks and cover them with plaster, and the kings would put their names there and all their valiant deeds. It was all about men on the rocks. And the secret to their success is not about Joshua or the skill of the Jewish soldiers or their strategies. It's all about the word of God. The secret to their success is hearing the word of God and doing it. That is what he's writing away on the stones there. I love the paraphrase of Matthew 4.4. Man can't expect to live by just keeping his stomach full but true life depends on obeying every word that comes out of God's mouth. Blessing in our lives centers around keeping the word of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his word. He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree uh, firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prosper. And what is it all about? It's so simple. The word of God being in your mind and your thoughts and helping you to make your decisions day after day. But what really brings the point home that blessing is all about the word of God and doing what he says is now in verse 33, this open air audience participation sermon. And, and I really love this picture. He leads them to the canyon and he divides them up, the whole millions of them, two million of them, and they're in that valley and they're reverberating back and forth sections of Deuteronomy 27 and 28 and this word of God symphony. And you can hear it echoing in that canyon, you know, do this and be blessed. And then you hear amen and do this and be blessed. And then amen. And then do this and be cursed. And you hear Amen. And this just this round thing. What it really, the New Testament truth and spiritual application, I find Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, that our conversations be echoing and reverberating back and forth the word of God, whether it's in hymns or songs or choruses. And the word of God is just so rich and keeps us on the straight and narrow path. So first of all, why does he have them do this? He wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. First Timothy chapter two, verse four. He wants people to be joy-filled and happy and not frustrated and banging your head against the same brick wall and going another lap around the mountain. He wants us, Jesus said, the reason I'm telling you this is that your joy, my joy might be in you and that it would be complete. Jesus didn't come to condemn and to judge people, he said, but to save people and to fill them with joy. And so the first thing then are the curses from Mount Ebal to your right where the altar is built. 
They are standing there, and it's their turn. And here's what they're going to say. I'll just condense it for you. They say, cursed is the one who's an idolater. And they say, amen. I'm getting this from Deuteronomy 27. You can check me out later. (laughs) Then they say, cursed is the one who dishonors their parents. Amen. Cursed is the one who cheats and steals. Amen. Cursed is the one who is simply cruel. Amen. Cursed is the one who takes advantage of the weak. Amen. Cursed is the one who is sexually immoral. Amen. Two more. Cursed is the violent aggressor. Amen. And cursed is the one who corrupts the legal system. Amen. And here's the bad news. Cursed is anyone who doesn't keep the whole law. Amen. (laughs) Kind of. Amen. Right? Well, we're going to get to the reason that the altar for the blood sacrifice is on Mount Ebal and not on Mount Gerizim. But you probably already figured that out. Here comes the blessings. So, Mount Ebal, folks, all six tribes, half of Israel, has just recited all the warnings. Do not do this or you'll be cursed. And they all agreed on the other side. Amen. Amen. And now it's the, the, the folks on Mount Gerizim's side. All right? And so here's what they do. I'm just reading from Deuteronomy 28, the script that they actually said. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And here's the script. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Amen. The fruit of your womb, your children, will be blessed. Amen. And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Amen. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Amen. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that your enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Amen. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. And there was a resounding amen. So now they're done with the sermon. You'll notice in the blessings, there's an omission of what actually to do to be blessed. It's just the consequences, the happy life of having obeyed the Lord. Well, the reason for that is the blessed behavior is to refrain from the cursed behavior. So what to do? Don't do what he says not to do. And that's what to do. Did you follow that? I didn't think so. (laughs) In other words, instead of idolatry, 100% devoted to God, unadulterated love for God. Instead of dishonoring your parents, it was inferred that we honor our parents, and that would bring blessing and those in authority. Live with honesty and integrity in all your ways. You will be blessed. Behave with kindness and love. Protect the weak in society. Stand up for those who don't stand up for them, can't stand up for themselves. Be sexually pure, and so on and so on. 
Now, God's moral requirements here for blessing are very clear. Do this and be blessed. Do that and be cursed. Very clear. But I wonder, as I was kind of insinuating, whether or not everybody kind of gulped a little bit and gasped because the whole point of the Old Testament law, according to the New Testament, is to lead us through conviction that nobody can keep those laws to Christ a Savior. And that is why that they have an altar of blood sacrifice on the cursed mountain because God is teaching them a bigger picture here. The Bible is never teaching you to be good instead of being bad. That is theological baloney. It's to be saved and in right relationship with God through faith, which is not, my friend, a New Testament idea. The just shall live by faith is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Abraham's faith was credited to him as being right with God, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Noah found favor and grace in the sight of God, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are Old Testament concepts. No, there is none righteous, no, not one. Do you know where that comes from? Not Romans 3, where Paul quotes it. Psalm 14, Old Testament. Your righteousness is but filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. These are all New Testament concepts of the gospel that says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Old Testament is no different. He's saying, do all of these things and be blessed. And if you do these things, you're going to be cursed. And there should have been a huge gasp. Dear God, save us. And that's why there's an altar built there. And blood will be shed because God is showing the bigger picture that you can be forgiven uh, as an innocent victim dies in your place, the place of a sinner. And the Old Testament Mount Ebal uh, kind of sacrifice was a lamb or a goat or a bull. But the New Testament says, oh, come on, the blood of an animal isn't going to wipe away your sins. But if it was a perfect man, standing in your place and didn't owe any sins of his own, that would have to be a God-man, born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And if he, since he has no payment to make on his own, made a payment on your behalf by giving up his own life as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, well, now we're talking. Now we're talking, and that's the bigger picture that's planted here. Not be good and don't be bad, because good people don't go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Get rid of that bogus thinking. Saved people go to heaven, unsaved people go to hell. Good and bad has nothing to do with it. Good and bad has to do with blessing and enjoyment of your life, consequences and all of that. But if anybody could be good and get to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. Jesus died for us because none of us are good. An Old Testament truth and a New Testament truth. And we see that picture 
right here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. This is a big picture. In the, you know, the first time that they, they were contracted by God in Exodus 24 after Moses read the Ten Commandments and he went on for a couple more chapters with laws. And at the end of that, the Israelites say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And Moses says, of course you will. No. <laughs> Moses says, Moses, next verse. Right after they finish, we will do it. Yes, we will. And then Moses says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to these words. Here's what God requires morally, the Ten Commandments. And then they say, yes, we'll do it. We'll sign on that dotted line. And it's as if God is saying, I am saying Thou shalt not, but I know you will. Therefore, the blood gets splattered on you. Why? Because you're never going to keep them. You can't even keep them for a weekend. You can't keep them for one day. In principle, you will violate them today. He says, whoever's not kind. Were you not kind today once? I was not kind. I, I snapped at somebody today. Okay, it was my wife. All right? I confess. No more comments along those ways. But, I mean, I'm already guilty right there. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, never mind. (laughs) It's impossible to live your life thinking that God loves you when you're good and you're doing good because you're doing good. And when you're doing bad, God is mad at you and all of this nonsense. It's not based on that. It's walking right with God and letting the Holy Spirit, as a result of receiving God's love and his Holy Spirit, you start to change and do good things out of a response of obtaining heaven, not as an effort to obtain it. Does that make sense? All right. Well, I'm going to close here with a fascinating thing that I saw today. I just love this. I hope you love it as much as I do. We're going to fast forward a thousand years. The Son of God is going to make a visit to Shechem. Only it's not called Shechem in the New Testament. It's called Sychar. It's the same place. Jesus stops in that valley, tired as he was, going through Samaria, and he's at a well. And he talks to a woman from Samaria. And she says, they get into a little thing, and Jesus is saying, hey, if you knew who I was, uh, I'd, be giving you, uh, I'd be giving you the water, and you'd be no, you wouldn't be thirsting anymore. And she changes the subject, and she says, you know what, you Jews, <laughs> we worship On Mount Gerizim, she told him. She points up to the mountain. That's our holy place. That's where we built our temple. And but you Jews say, oh, you can't worship up there. You've got to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, oh, it's not about the temple up there, and it's not about the temple in Jerusalem, but it's all about me and what's going to happen with me 
as a sin offering for you. Now, she's coming from, why did they build the temple on Mount Gerizim? Because they said, that's the side of the blessing. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and we have. And so we don't have to come through a sacrifice. We don't have to go to Mount Ebal and admit that we have failed morally. We're the Samaritans. We worship on Mount Gerizim, the place of blessing. It was so clear. Do this, do that, and we have. So Jesus says, oh, I've got a question for you. Why don't you call your husband and bring him back here? Because I've got to get you from Mount Gerizim to Mount Ebal. Because you're not going to be saved until you get off of your holy mountain where you've heard the word of the Lord and you're a basically a good person. So go get your husband and let's talk. Well, sir, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, that would be true. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. The guy that you're living with right now is not your husband. So you know what? You're telling the truth. <laughs> now, did Jesus snap her? No, he did not. I threw that in just for your benefit, right? So what does he have to do? He has to convince this woman, man, you are so in need of a sacrifice on the cursed side. But don't worry. I'm going to become that cursed side for you. I'm going to die and shed my blood for you. Not on that mountain or this mountain, but it'll be through me and my sacrifice. That's why he says... Anyone who drinks of the water I give. And she says, look, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain it all to us. And then Jesus goes, that, dear lady, would be me. That's exactly what he says to her. I who speak to you am he. That's amazing. He's saying, I'm the son of God. I know what I'm talking about, lady. You know, and so he gets her to maneuver her bad self over into a situation where she realizes, okay, maybe I haven't lived up to everything, all the blessings that are promised to me. Last little quote from David Guzik. Right thinking and sound doctrine about Christians and blessing and cursing. It is important to recognize that we, in Jesus Christ, do not have an old covenant relationship with God. We expect to be blessed not because of our obedience, but because of our position in Jesus. The curse we deserved was laid upon him. Though there are many, uh, though there may be an inherent curse of consequences in our disobedience or even the correcting hand of God under the new covenant he does not punish us or curse us because all that we deserved past present and future was poured out on Jesus now wouldn't it be easy in some ways they had it easier than us under their economy God was teaching them things do good and, it, and good will happen. It, it doesn't quite work that way with Jesus. Because Jesus did good and bad stuff happened. Paul the Apostle was the best Christian that ever lived. And read Second Corinthians chapter 11 for all the stuff that happened to him. Now, 
instead of doing good and expecting God to do something good for me, I just respond in love and trust him. And, and he's trying to say, it's win-win with me. I will take all things and work them together for your blessing and for your good. And so please don't run around and say, well, I am having a blessed day because it's easy today and things are going well for me. But no, I'm cursed now and something's wrong and God's upset with me. If you're in Christ, there's no cursing. And if you don't get that job, it's because you're not supposed to get that job. And if you're struggling, it's because God is working something beautiful in your life. He's strengthening your faith or he's glorifying Christ in somebody else's uh, presence and using you in ways you don't even understand right now. The point of Christian blessing or cursing is this. It's a win-win. You're in Christ. He's taking care of you. Now, if you want to drag your feet and and test the waters and push the envelope and do things you shouldn't be doing, well, then you will uh, frustrate it. This is the bottom line for me. I hear God saying, believer, you're coming to heaven. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. (laughs) You choose. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you that it doesn't depend on us so much, but on you, your Holy Spirit. Just help us to walk with you in love, to trust you, to love you with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. To be kind to others and, and to show the love that you've given us. It's really p- quite simple to be blessed in you, Lord. And just to lay down our will and do your will, Lord. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.